0: We began a series some weeks ago on the life of Elijah, the prophet in the Old Testament. And as you turn to 2 Kings chapter 2, where Elijah's time's coming to an end. Purpose, which he'd been called to, is being fulfilled, and it's a time of transition. There's someone else waiting in the wings, and this chapter tells us, what it looks like to pass a baton. First Kings chapter 2, verse 1 through 15. I should say 2 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 15. It came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. and Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you, over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle, folded it together and struck the waters and they were divided here, divided there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please, let me have a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it came about as they were going along and talking, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven, and Elisha saw it, and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, tore them to pieces, He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there. And Elisha crossed over. In verse 15, Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. I was read that, I was reminded of heroes of the faith. And how much it seems today uh, people love and are obsessed with superheroes. I mean, think of all the movies that come out. You got Spider-Man, you got Batman, you got Superman, you got Kyle Erickson, the Black Panther. Wonder Woman, Iron Man, all these superheroes. There's so many sequels that come out, and sequels and sequels, and people who study all this and kind of how they're all woven together. Fans await to see how their superhero will save the day. But I wonder, what is it about those heroes that so captivate people? I mean, is it just... The cinema and all the different ways that they make these movies. What is it? To me, it seems to me that in a world so wrought with problems, injustice, oppression, too much power in the hands of evil men, I don't know, it's nice to escape where power lies in the hands of selfless men and women who can make a difference. And while this all really makes nice, interesting plot in comic books, movies, TV shows, it's really not reality. All these powers are make-believe. They're total fiction. And we ordinary people leave kind of left holding the bag while the world seemingly is overrun by evil. But what we really need, all of us are real-life heroes, people who've lived real lives and made a real difference. The Bible tells us countless stories of men and women who God had given his spirit to carry out his plan to overcome evil around them. Now as we looked at Elijah's life and we come to this, much has changed for Elijah. As we think back to his flight into the wilderness in 1 Kings 19, his anxiety for God's work had turned into a really more calm and patient faith that God would accomplish his will with or without him. You see, God doesn't need us. We're not indispensable. And Elijah recognized that. He rested in God's use of other spokesmen. He was confident there was a successor. It was Elisha. And when we enter Second Kings, chapter two, we see the prophet who had fought a good fight, and he teaches us a lesson about legacy. First Kings 19, 19 through 21, we earlier identified the one who would carry on the work of Elijah, and that was Elisha. It's interesting, her names are so close together as their ministries were so tied together. And Elijah would pass on a baton. There would be a transfer that would take place from Elijah to Elisha. There would be a spiritual legacy that Elijah would pass on. I remember years ago in the Olympics, uh, Olympic uh, men's and women's team were favored to win the 4 by 100 relay. I mean, these guys could cook. They were fast. And in the women's 4 by 100 with a huge lead, they dropped the baton. They dropped the baton, and they lost. It wouldn't matter their position, they were in first. It didn't matter their speed in which they were running. If you can't exchange the baton properly, you'll fail. You won't win the race. We have many today who've dropped the baton of legacy. Some have no idea that they even have a baton to pass on, much less how to do it. We live in a world so steeped in selfishness, they think and act like they'll be on earth forever and they'll never consider what they'll pass on. Legacy is the baton. It's what you will transfer. It's what you leave behind. It's what someone else has to show because you showed up. It's your legacy. What are you passing on? I was thought of Psalm 71, 18. We read these words. And even when I am old and gray, the psalmist says, O oh God, do not forsake me. Until I declare thy strength to this generation and thy power to all who are to come. The generation behind you can pick up and be more effective and more impacting than you because you were concerned about what you left behind. That's important. It's incredibly important. We understand that. Legacies the baton. Elijah shows us in this text amazingly, as we're going to look at here, how to pass the baton well and to consider what we'll leave behind. As I thought about that, I asked myself and I asked you, how much of God will you pass on? I mean, how much of God showed up in your life that your kids, starting there is where it all starts, in your home, and others around you will see? How much of God are you passing on? Now, in 1 Kings 19 19 through 21, we see Elijah who's making preparations for Elisha. He made preparations for his legacy. God had called Elijah to prepare his mentor, mentoree, I should say. We often solely consider a financial legacy. Many will sit down and put a will together, they'll put an inheritance together. And they'll say, I divide up everything to my children, and they can have this. And so we're very mindful of an inheritance, passing on material things. But I wonder if you sat down and thought, even more importantly, what will I pass on spiritually? To be frankly honest, it really doesn't matter what you pass on financially if you've passed on nothing spiritually. You might as well throw it away, unless you have a spiritual legacy, Because that's what really matters. That's what will get your kids through. That's what will get those who observe your life. If you're going to leave a legacy, you might need to kiss some things goodbye. We see it in 1 Kings 19. I want you to read these very significant verses. 1 Kings 19. 19 says, so he departed from there, Elijah, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphath, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he, was, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him, threw his mantle on him, and, and notice verse 20, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back, for what have I done? And so he returned, he kissed his oxen Goodbye. He said, goodbye. There's some things you may need to kiss goodbye to leave a legacy. Maybe not necessarily bad things, but things you might be too enamored with that are preventing you from leaving a spiritual legacy. Because you and I can't have it all. And there's some things you might need to kiss goodbye, some good things, in order to leave a legacy of faith. You can't leave a legacy with a child unless you spend time with them. You might need to kiss some things goodbye. You can't leave a legacy if you're not in the Word, maybe with other people like Dan has been doing. Maybe a neighbor God's put next to you. Or somebody God has brought and allowed you to pour into their life. There might be some things you need to kiss goodbye to be able to leave a spiritual legacy. You know, it's an interesting, dynamic at a wedding. When a groom and, uh, or the bride comes down the aisle and the groom, I always love when the groom uh, meets her there and um, the couple, they come down and they kiss dad and mom and basically say, I got to go to a new spouse. But what if the mom shouted, don't go, don't do it? She'd be missing the point. The reason is you, we raise our children so that they will go. We prepare them so that they will go. And the way we best prepare them is by leaving a legacy. So they, in turn, will leave leave a legacy. Will people remember you in such a way that they remember that there was eternity tied to how you lived? You see, a real legacy has something tied to eternity. It's not just that you were a nice person or had a nice job or had a nice car or some of these things, but that you loved God and you walked with him and you valued the things that were eternal. You were willing to serve God and you were concerned about a baton to pass on. And what would make up that baton? My wife and I are heading to Wisconsin later today. A friend of ours suddenly passed away last week of a heart attack. He was young like me, and uh, he was a dear brother. I'd served, he was an elder, I'd served with him many years. His his children um, are precious to us, especially his one daughter, um, who we've been able to pour into her life, and just a, a precious young lady. And, uh, and, and Bob loved the Lord. And his daughter had, had posted something uh, which was really neat about the impact Dad had on her life and how he passed on Jesus and how he passed on spiritual things, things that were tied to eternity. It'll be joy to go to this funeral because it's about a man who passed a baton on, who left a legacy. How do we do that? Well, 2 Kings 2 gives us some really significant things. I don't have a lot of time, but I want to I zoom in on them. Because in 2 Kings, there are f- four locations highlighted that tell us much about this transfer. You see, these places are places of meaning. Let's follow along. Let's, let's look at this. 2 Kings 2 came about, or verse 1, it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Gilgal. It's important to know what happened at these locations so we can know why they went to these places. They were aware of the significance of the history of Gilgal, And each of these locations had a school. That's why we read about Sons of the Prophets. They were training institutions. We would maybe say they're like seminaries. And so at each of these places, there were Sons of Prophets, people learning and growing, developing. This was a new generation that was being developed. Sons of the Prophets showed up, and they interact with Elijah and Elisha. But why train in Gilgal? Well Joshua 4 19 to 24 just make a note of that and look it up. But it's a commemoration of crossing the Jordan into the promised land. You see Gilgal was a place where God removed the shame and reproach of Israel. Gilgal was a place of new beginnings. Gilgal was a place where you could start over where God could give a new start. They had Egypt on the brain, though, God's people. I mean, they kept going back to Egypt. Their mind kept going back. Oh, if we were just back there. We didn't have much, but we had more than this is kind of where they kept going. The problem is as long as you live mentally in Egypt, they couldn't get to Canaan. And as long as you live mentally in the past, of all maybe the mistakes you made, all the regrets, you're never going to get to Canaan. You're never going to get to a place of Gilgal where there's a new beginning. And the reason I think there's so many sour-pussed Christians is because they're so enamored with the negative in themselves and with others. They haven't moved on. They haven't been able to pass on to their children and the next generation. In Christ, there's a new start. There's a new beginning. You can be born again. Gilgal. It's a place they learned to move beyond yesterday. It's a place they were able to move forward. They didn't need Egypt anymore. There was a future far more glorious. There's a future far more glorious than your past. You cannot leave a legacy if you're still in Egypt. It's in your relationship with Jesus where you can move beyond the shame and the reproach of your sin and move forward in a new beginning and a lasting legacy. You build your legacy today. Then you build it tomorrow and the next day. But you can't build it if you're living yesterday. The Christian life is forward-moving. Learn from Gilgal. If you haven't had a new beginning in Christ, as I said in communion, today's the day. If you have had a new beginning in Christ, then live in the reality of that new life. Move forward. You can't leave a legacy if you don't. But there's another location that tells us how to leave a legacy. Read it in verse 2 through 4. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Notice the tests Elijah gives Elisha. You're going to pick up this baton? You stay here. Elisha's ain't going to happen. I want this baton. I want it. I'm going I'm to take it. And He doesn't want to drop it. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Abraham had built altars there. But it was his grandson who had the most awesome experience we read about in Genesis 28. Jacob. He wrestled with an angel in prayer. He set up an altar there. Because Jacob was a changed man. Jacob was a deceiver. But he was changed because he finally surrendered. And God transformed him. And he had a name change at Bethel, he became Israel. You see, to leave a godly legacy, you'll need to experience ongoing transformation where you become more like Jesus, where there's a name change. It's not just Matt, it's Matt in Christ. And that's a world of difference. You see, at Bethel, transformation takes place. You cannot leave a legacy. If you're not experiencing transformation in Christ, how sad to have people say, I trusted Jesus at 11, and the rest of their life they left nothing of a spiritual legacy, maybe compromise. And that's not much, if anything. To leave a godly legacy, you and I need to experience an ongoing transformation. Jacob was a deceiver, but at Bethel, he was transformed. So he could use Bethel as a perfect example of transformation. It's the place we resolve to trust God fully. It's a place we let God change us. You want to pass on a baton of a godly legacy? Resolve to fully trust God to change you. Learn from Bethel. It's a place of prayer, a place of transformation. Verse 4 says they went to Jericho. Read in verse four, and Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Elisha refused to choose the easy way, he followed God's man. And so he and Elijah journeyed together. It seems to me many don't want to pay a price. We just hope it will kind of happen. It would cost something. As I said, there's times we need to kiss some things goodbye. The other prophets weren't ready. Elisha, however, was ready. In the conquest of Jericho, as we read in Joshua, was Israel's first victory over the Canaanites in idolatrous religion. Jericho was a place of victory. It was where battle was won. And I'm, I'm sure Elijah retraced his steps. He remembered the battles that God had won through him. It was a place where the hand of God was seen. Elisha saw Elijah's life. He heard, I'm sure, from Elijah, God's hand at work in his life. And so it's not surprisingly that when they go to Jericho, a place of victory, it's re emphasized that Jericho is a place where God's hand is at work, where God's hand is seen. At Jericho, we refuse to take the easy way out, but we enter into the battles God has called us to fight and we experience victory. Those behind us see God's hand at work. Those behind us could say, Yeah, they weren't perfect, but I could sure see God at work in them. I could sure see how God used Dad, how God used Mom, how God used Grandpa and Grandma how God used this mentor in my life. I could see it. I had a front row seat. That's where that's what Jericho is. It's a place where God's hand's at work. It's a beautiful picture. It's where battles are won. Go where God wants you to. Fight the battles he calls you to fight. You'll pass on a life, a legacy of victory. Oh, but they're not done. There's another place. Verses 6-11 through 11 tell us that go to the Jordan and there's a Lengthy description of what takes place there. God opened the Jordan so Israel could cross over. We read about that earlier. Fifty prophets from Jericho watched Elijah and Elisha as they stood on the banks of the Jordan and they watched Elisha's succession. They watched Elisha take the baton. It's beautiful. Elisha was reminded, the same God, with the same power, was alive and active in Israel. Because when all is said and done, legacies are built on the power of God. Legacies are built on walking in that power and being yielded to it. Legacies get passed on when we walk and experience the power of God in our life. And we know in Elijah's case the time is drawing near. Elijah asked Elisha if there was anything he could do for him. I love Elisha's answer. He says, I want two scoops. <laughs> he says, I, double that bad boy. I've seen the power in your life. I've seen God work in your life. Double that up in my life. That's what I want, Elijah. Elijah, Elijah says, you know, I'm not quite sure if I can pull that one off. But I'll tell you what, if, if you see me when I go, bank on it. If you don't, single, single scoop's going to have to do That's kind of how the story plays out. Of course, that's Matt's standard version of it. But Elisha wants double power. He wants spiritual power far beyond his capabilities to meet the responsibilities of the awesome task that lay before him. Whatever you have, Elijah, give me two of it. I want to double it. Wouldn't it be great? If your children could look at you or those you mentor, look at you and say, you know what? Oh, man, what a great legacy mom and dad left. I want to leave that. And you know what even more? I want it to be even more expansive. I'm not going to settle. God, give me a double portion of that legacy so I could pass it on. And how great will it be as a dad, personally, and you as parents and grandparents and those you mentor to say to them, you know what, I try to leave a legacy, but I'm trusting God that you'll do even do more. I want you to have a double portion. I want you to multiply this legacy. What a great thing to do. And you can bet Elisha didn't take his eyes off Elijah. And it's a good thing because Elijah will suddenly take up into heaven. Reminds me there's a relationship between seeing and receiving. Elisha saw the secret to Elijah's life, the power of God. Because a chariot of fire and horses of fire represented power, strength. In the Bible, they were symbols. In verse 12 and 13, by tearing his clothes, Elisha also renounced his former life. He took up the baton of Elijah's mantle. Because at the Jordan, it's where that baton is received. It's where that legacy is embraced. It's where we say, I got the mantle, I got the legacy, but I want to know if I got the power. I got the position, I might have the speed, but that doesn't mean you're going to hang on to the baton. It's the power of God at work in us that allows you and I to take that legacy and to live it out. Exit Elijah, (laughs) enter Elisha. That's what we're reading. Now you're like, hey, that's good stuff. Good Old Testament. Like Daryl was sharing about the Old Testament, kind of as a young people, you're like, well, what good is it and what's in there? That's a good question. What does this mean to us? This is kind of neat to read about this encounter, but what does it mean? Two significant questions come out of this. Young and old alike need to ask these. Who will you pass the baton to? First question. Who are you going to pass it to? Dads and moms, you better start at home. Model Christ-likeness. Talk about the things that matter. That's how they pick up stuff. Hopefully they watch you invest in things that matter. Do they see you in the Word? they see you praying? Do you see you speaking into other people's lives and bringing encouragement? What do they see But you need to understand and ask, who am I going to pass the baton on to? As I asked that question of myself, I thought of a man named Terry and Jason and a couple other people that God has allowed me to come alongside over the years. And I watch them serving God now, and I rejoice that I got a little time with them and still keep in touch with them. Who will you pass the baton on to? Identify in your mind their faces. Write it down. Make sure you're praying for them. Who are you going to focus to invest in? Secondly, what will you pass on? If there's no spiritual dynamic, it's going to limit any influence you have. Pass on an authentic walk with God, a real love for Him, godly character, these are tied to an internal impact. And I really, really want to encourage you on this one. Maybe it's just because I've been deeply convinced over the years. Make sure that those who see you see authenticity. Don't put on a facade. I mean, who wants to follow a facade? It's not real. It's like watching a superhero on the movie screen, it's not real. Make sure your kids see authenticity. That means mistakes. You're going to need to apologize to them. Help them to see the full picture of what it's like. Make sure you share stuff when you drop the ball. I got a lot of ammunition there. It's okay to share that, but let them see how you claim forgiveness and how you move forward, like the lesson at Gilgal. It doesn't just happen, it's intentional. At Gilgal, we move beyond yesterday to a new beginning. In Bethel, it's a place where characters transformed where you and I cooperate with the Holy Spirit at work in our life. Jericho is a place of victory where you don't take the easy way. You pay the price necessary for God's hand to work in your life. It's a place of victory. In the Jordan, it's where you take the baton. And there's some young people here right now, maybe older people, who God has placed in your life, either parents who love Jesus, grandparents, other people have come alongside you and they're holding the baton out. But guess what? You got to choose to take it. It's your choice. It's like mom and dad can do everything for you and they can leave a great legacy, but somewhere along the line, you got to take it. And then what are you going to do with it? Are you going to run with it? So you have a choice in this as well. The Jordan is a place where you would take the baton. Don't drop it. Let the transfer come. It's you too could leave a godly legacy. Elijah closes his life out with a great challenge, and it's a lesson of legacy. Might we take it seriously? Every single day of our life, might we be mindful? What are we passing on? Or am I receiving the baton, and am I going to run with it? Wherever situation you're in, this text has a lot to challenge us with. Let me pray for you. Lord, i got to believe that sitting here are those who say, I really want to leave a godly legacy. And some here I know, when they think in their mind, there's, there's many mistakes and regrets they've met, and maybe some thoughts that come in their mind like, I can't, I've blown it. God, take them to Gilgal. Take them to the place of a new beginning that it's never too late to have a new start. Lord, help them to know that. Help each of us to cooperate with your spirit that we would be increasingly transformed into your image. Take us to Bethel. And God, help us to pay the price to see your hand at work. Lord, help us to pay the price to see victory on a regular basis, take place in our life. God, take us to Jericho. And Lord, young and old alike, when the baton and the legacy is being held, take us to Jordan, where we receive it and commit to running that race and running it to win. And Lord, might the end result of our time this morning would be you'd be glorified and your kingdom expanded as we commit to running this race to win and handing off a legacy that would continue to impact your kingdom. And as Elijah discovered and Elisha discovered, none of this is possible without your power. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.